I guess I have a confession to make this morning. Of all of the preaching, all the sermons that I research and study in my journeys growing up in church all of my life, well, this is the most <laughs> celebratory, the most honored time for eternity moment this is probably the one that I struggle the most with. The resurrection. Atheists, archaeologists, anarchists have all tried to keep Jesus buried in the grave. And history can readily attest to his death. It's a recorded fact. <laughs> it's, it's interesting. Even renowned atheists will say Jesus lived and he died. That's fact. But as long as people, and not just those people, us people, as long as we keep him in the grave, Christ has no power in our lives. But the fact is this morning, the tomb lies empty, and that's the fact. I, I actually had to go. I went. I went to the tomb because I had studied world religions. In fact, I, I taught world religions for a while. And in that journey, I, I, I thought, wow, there are so many, you know, so many things you can look at and, and, and study here. But I thought, I, I need to go. And actually, it was very anticlimactic. You know how when people tell you, 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 how many have been to Disney World? You went to Walt Disney World? Only two people went? Come on. How many have been to Canada's Wonderland? Okay, there, there we go, Canada's Wonderland. You know, when you go to Canada's Wonderland, you know you're getting close because the traffic gets heavier and, and you can't find a parking spot and there's a lineup and then you get there and it says Canada's Wonderland and people are there and they're excited and it's a, but I went to the tomb. It was really kind of anticlimactic because it's just empty. <laughs> There's nothing there. You see, to have no resurrections simply means that disaster would be rampant. Rather than the law of Christ, we would have the law of the jungle. Savagery would rage on the streets. The lights of the churches would be dim. Doors would be locked. Joy would disappear because people would live by their own standards. The hands of neighbors would rise up against one another. Our streets would be smoldering ruins. Hope would be dead. But indeed today, the tomb is empty. There is hope. There is hope. There is resurrection life. This, of all things... Everything in the Gospels depends on resurrection. What differentiates us from any other religion in the world is resurrection life. Every other religion looks forward to, uh, uh, you, you know, if, if, you're, if you're a Buddhist, for instance, you, the highest state of Buddhism is what, for you scholars? Nirvana, not the band. And nirvana is actually a state of what? Complete 
nothingness. So what you want to achieve as a Buddhist is nothing. Complete, no life, no nothing. It's eternal death and nothing. But in today, but today, Christ has risen. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 1 to 8. And we're going to stand and read this just like we did on Friday. Let's go. Come on, everybody up. It's your exercise. You've been eating turkey and ham and chips and peanuts. Let's go. 1 Corinthians 15, 1 to 8. Now, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel I have preached to you, which you received and on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel, you are saved. If you hold firmly to the word I preached to you, otherwise you believed in vain. Next screen. For what I received, I pass on to you as first importance. Stop. This is chapter 15 of 1 Corinthians. Friday, we alluded to the previous chapters where Paul writes to the Corinthians and he says, what, what I've received, what's, what's it say? What do we all repeat? You know the words. You've been growing up in church. You've done communion a million times. What does Paul, what, how does that verse start? What I received, I passed on to you. Paul says that. But here he says what? This is first importance. This is, this is it, guys. Like the communion piece, it's, that's important. But now, this is really important. Keep going. That Christ died for our sins according to the scripture. That he was buried. That he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. And that he appeared to Cephas and then to the twelve. After that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living. Stop. I beg your pardon. You could go talk to the, as Paul is writing this, he's saying, there's a lot of, pe of these people who saw Jesus, and you can still go talk to them. These are eyewitnesses, okay? Keep going. Though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James and to the apostles, and last of all, he appeared to me as normally abnormally born. So Lord, take your word once again. Plant it firmly in our hearts. Lord, that it would take root and germinate and bring forth fruit. And Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable unto you. O oh Lord, our God. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Chapter 15 in 1 Corinthians is really the climax of, of the message. Paul is writing to the people at Corinth, and he's challenged them concerning their fellowship. He says, actually, when you guys get together, I'm sick of you. <laughs> he says, because when you get together, you, you're not nice to one another. When you, when you worship, you're not doing good. And so he gives them some instruction and direction. Okay, a little bit of correction. And, and, and he's revealed the emptiness of, and, and the supposed brilliance of philosophy. He's preached the cross to them in Corinthians, to the Corinthians. He's rebuked them for their errors of practice and 
in, in the church and in their own lives. But then he proclaims the triumph of love in the gospel. And now he says, I declare unto you the good news. Now, here's the good news, he says. I've, I've told you what to do and what not to do, but now this is the good news. And I want you to truly embrace the gospel, to, to view it as if it is happening right now. Let me explain. You can know this morning the truth and have the assurance that Christ is alive. You can know the truth and have the assurance that Jesus Christ is alive. You see, the truth will set you... Hmm. We, as we work with the churches across our district, in, our, in, in the district that you belong to, in the Western Ontario District, we have 324 or 26. It all depends on the day and who's coming and who's going. But 324 churches is usually... I, I could check right now on my app, but I didn't. We have about 324 churches, just like you, in the Western Ontario District. So the Western Ontario District is this. How many know where Young Street is in Toronto? Young Street, okay? If you drew a line straight up Young Street all the way to Hudson's, well, first you'd hit James Bay, all the way to James Bay, and then everything all the way up to the Arctic Circle and all the way over to the province of Manitoba, that is the Western Ontario District. 324 churches. So it's not uncommon for me to get in my car. This morning was a short drive. It was only a couple hours this morning. That was like not a big deal. I, got, you know, I was up early and at it, and away I went. And, but if you drive, uh, actually you can't even drive to our furthest church. Here's what you have to do. To get to our furthest church, which, and it depends whether there's flooding and whether they've moved people out of the reserve, it, it can either be Fort Albany or, or Attawapiskat, which is right up, way up there, way up in, on Hudson's Bay. And so to get there, this is what you have to do. You have to get in your car and you have to drive 22 hours to Sioux Lookout, okay? In 22 hours from my house, I can drive to Sarasota. Guess which one I would rather drive to, okay? 22 hours, you drive to Sioux Lookout, and you haven't even left the province of Ontario. Then we have, we used to have our own plane, now we don't have a plane anymore, but now we go, we fly uh, Air Buffalo, we fly Bearskin Airways, or we fly Superior Air, and when you get in a little plane, you know you're in a little plane, and it's a little sketchy when the pilot kind of looks back through the curtain, okay, it's, you know, you, know, you get on a plane... He looked back through the curtain and he yells, okay, try it again. Now you go, oh, okay. And it's frightening for me. I'm a pilot. I fly. And I'm like, I know what they're doing right now. And I, you got me scared here, guys. Or we'd be flying into weather. And it's really scary. See, because when you're usually sitting in a normal plane, flying wherever it is you fly, you're watching TV on the back headrest of the person in front of you. When you're in a small plane and that curtain kind of floats open, you can actually, I can see the instruments, which I know what they're all doing, and I can see out the windshield. And I, I'm like, no, I don't want to look. <laughs> One of the things we try to achieve across our district is we try to preach the truth in love. Over the years with our youth, 
one of our biggest events, our biggest event, is a huge event. Actually, how many of you have been to Overflow? Overflow. We spend a lot of money, we spend a lot of time on Overflow. And this year, the theme of Overflow is Veritas. It's a Greek word, it means truth. Because unless we share the truth with just this generation, we've wasted our time and we've wasted our energy. And this is what Paul is writing. I want to tell you the truth about the resurrection, he says. The story is really, really simple. You see, there was this man who lived in the Middle East 2,000 years ago, and he was crucified outside of Jerusalem. I mean, he was buried, but he just did not disappear in some fast and secured tomb. On the third day, he rose from the dead. This is the narrative. This is, this is the, uh, writers would call that, they would say, this is the myth. This is the story. Not myth in a, in a false sense, but this is the story. This is the narrative. And what happens with this narrative is as you read the narrative and as you read the scripture, you realize that this person is none other than the Christ, the anointed, the Son of God, and that he died, as Paul said, for our sin. And he was buried and on the third day, he rose again. And that's the moment that the narrative becomes the gospel. That's the moment it becomes good news. Because what Christ has shared in your life, that freedom that you have in Christ, freedom from sin, freedom from guilt, the peace that Christ gives you in your life, the hope that we have for eternity. Do you have hope for eternity? I, 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 I am not immune to disaster and to death and to crisis. But underlying all that, I always have one thing, hope. When Wendy's dad passed a few years ago, we knew one day we're going to see her dad again. When her mom passed, we knew. When our first son passed, we knew. This is our hope, and this is the hope that we get to share with the world, that first of all, we have relationship with God, but second of all, we have a hope in eternity. Today, you can go to Moscow. Well, I don't think you could go there today, actually. The flights are canceled. But you can go to Moscow. And you can go to Moscow and visit the tomb of Lenin. And they have embalmed Lenin the communist leader in a glass sarcophagus that you can see him. There is his body. He is dead. Like, dead. You can go to France and you can see the tomb of Napoleon. These great leaders. You can travel to Sri Lanka and you can see the tooth of the Buddha. Why would you want to do that? But I want to tell you this morning, don't go looking for Jesus because he's not here. He's risen. He's not in the tomb. Now, in order for there to be a resurrection, there has to be death. Death is simply the end of earthly existence. The soul or its essence departs at life. It's inescapable. It's our it's our fate. 
100%, here's a guarantee I'll give you this morning, 100% of you are going to die. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Good. Yes. Preach, pastor. Preach that message. No, we're not getting out of this alive. But here's the good news. The first fruits of death is sickness and disease. In other words, you're as good as dead. We all have sickness and disease. Ro Romans chapter 8 says this. Just blow that up there for a second. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. You see, all of earth is groaning. Everything is waiting. What? Not only we, but not only so, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship, the what? The redemption of our bodies. The earth is groaning. Our spirits are groaning. We are awaiting our adoption. We're waiting redemption. To those outside of the family of God, it's death. You see, let me, let me, let me take you and, and put you in my, my, my position for a moment when I'm doing a funeral. Can I be brutally honest with you when I'm doing funerals? If one of you who are a follower of Christ were to, were to go into eternity today, there would be a funeral. And those who are close to you would mourn and be sad. And if I was conducting your funeral, I would mourn and be sad because I love you. I love, I love the brothers and sisters in the Lord. But underlying... <laughs> You've got, you got to hear me now. <laughs> Please understand, I'm not being facetious. Underlying, I have this sense of joy. Underlying, I have this deep, deep sense of peace. Yes, I'm going to miss them for a while. But one day, on that day, when our resurrected bodies will all join together, eternity is just, it's mind-blowing. You realize when the Bible says to be absent from the body is to be what? Present with the Lord. Do you realize when that happens? Instantaneously. You know how some people say, well, you know, when you die, uh, grandma and grandpa went on before us. When you die and you get into that place of eternity, you are going to reach them at exactly the same moment because you will be in eternity. There is no time. This is what the world is caught up. Uh, let, me, let, me, let me take you back to my funeral services. Here's the ones that are the most brutal and the most terrible for me. When I was pastoring, and I would get a call from a friend, a relative, who had not served the Lord, who, in fact, they were opposed, and they would call and say, Pastor Collins, would you come and would you do this funeral? Of course I'll do it. Because funerals aren't for the dead, they're for the living. And I look at every one of those as opportunities that I can go and once again share the good news of Jesus Christ, that you don't have to die forever. 
And I have never come away yet once from one of those funerals where I don't retreat to my vehicle and bawl my eyes out. Just like that family are crying because they will never see them again. That's it. That's eternity. They're lost for eternity. It's a tragic, tragic end. It is tragic. Funerals are tragic. So be easy on your pastor. Serve Jesus. Okay? That's all I'm saying. The world is caught up. The world is fascinated with death. They try to make death, death easier, more palatable, nicer to deal with on pleasant terms. You know, we, well, they, you know, Nathan, they just passed away. Or, or you talk to people, and I never know what to say when people say, well, we lost Uncle George. Where? Where'd you lose him? Oh, oh, you lost, oh, he passed, he died. Uncle George died, okay? See, think of this, think of what we do. Is there, where's the funeral home, local funeral, is there a local funeral home? Just around the corner? You know, you know, it's, it's close by. <laughs> Actually, in Brantford, where I grew up, the, there's the high school, the nursing home, and the funeral home. It's kind of progressive. You just High school, nursing home, funeral home, and then a flower shop to kind of cover everything off. It's right on Brand Ave. If you don't, you just check it out. Uh, you see, even at the funeral, you go into the funeral home, and it's all like done in dusty rows, and they got somebody, and they're playing, you know, nice chords and C's and G's and F's, just pleasant to the ear, you know, and they're singing nice, quiet songs. And the, and the, and the I've got a confession to you this morning. You know where I got this coat? We're so sorry this morning. Your loved one is just gone home. I got this from the funeral home. I, I, you were dead right. <laughs> dead. You see, what we try to do in the funeral setting is pacify everything. When really, as Christians, we should be in a celebratory mood. This person has just graduated. They've just, they've just moved on. They're in, they've turned the page into the next chapter of their book. But see, we, we're, we get so enthralled with death. Back in the late 60s, early 70s, there was a, uh, a musician, his name was Jim Morrison. Familiar with Jim Morrison? Jim Morrison had a band called The Doors. And Jim Morrison was enthralled with death. Jim, Jim Morrison, uh, uh, he, he named his, his band The Doors because he had read the book by Aldous Huxley. If, you've, if, you're, if you study philosophy at all, you, you read Aldous Huxley. Aldous Huxley wrote a book called The Doors of Perception. What the doors of perception are is the doors to death. You, you, you step from this life into this other, other life. The most famous song that Jim Morrison ever sang was the, the words were this, break on through to the other side. What does that mean? Well, Jim, with his own suicide, broke on through to the other side. 
Breaking on through means into death. People are enthralled with death. It's all about death. And Jesus says, or Peter says this, for Christ, let me change the screen, for Christ suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God, to life. He was put to death in the body, but made alive in the spirit. One day we will be made alive. So you see, Jesus is the only one who ever broke through and returned. Because none of us have the power to do that. He died. He experienced death and hell and the grave for you and I. But he did not remain dead. He rose from the grave. He will return. He will return again. <laughs> he rose from the grave. The Bible says, and then he appeared to Peter, and then to the twelve, and after that to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters all at the same time, most of who were living, though some have fallen asleep, he appeared to James. If you're going to look at proof for the resurrection of Christ, you have to look at a few things. Number one, you have to look at the biblical record because of all the literature in the world, what, what book was, was actually produced first? First book ever produced? Mr. Gutenberg on his press made a what? Bible. Well, this is not one book. This is actually a library. This is the library of truth. The, the, the biblical record contains so much truth no matter what you read, no matter what you watch on TV. Have you ever been watching something on TV and they're quoting scripture? Why? Because this is the basis, this is the foundation of truth. So it, it stands to reason, as you study, if you were studying philosophy particularly, philosophers would say, what you have to do is you have to find this basis or this foundation of truth and then everything else pours out from this. And so as you read Shakespeare, Merlin, Dante, any of the classics, what, do, what does it quote over and over and over again? God's word. Why? Because this is the essence of truth. And so when the Bible tells you that Jesus rose again, it's reliable information. But then it goes on and it says, not only did the 12, so, so the, 12 the 12 disciples saw Jesus, met with him. In fact, he cooked them a feeding fish and chips on the beach. It, the best part of the story, listen, you, 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 the, the story grips me because as I read it again, when Jesus is giving them fish, this is the kind of information they give you. There was 153 fish. Like, how reliable, like, it's like, did they just, no. This is, a, this is amazing, amazing information. So you have the biblical record, you have the testimony of the 12, but then you have the testimony of 500 other people who saw him and some of whom were still alive. Now, this is the amazing thing. If you were, if you were to concoct or make up a story, say we're going to make up a story. Nathan, we're going to make up a story.
months later, years later thing. This is right away. The, 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 the record shows the apostles, with the exception of John, were all martyred. They were killed for their belief in the resurrection. You better be pretty Amen? Like, if I'm not so sure, you know, I see a car accident, and I will, okay, the blue car came through the red light and hit the green car, okay. And the police officer says, no, are you absolutely sure? Swear on the Bible, and if you're wrong, you're going to die. Gonna, I'm not going to die for something like that that I'm not sure of. These 12 die. Listen, how many of you remember the Watergate scandal? The Watergate scandal. The Watergate scandal. Okay, the Watergate scandal was an interesting scandal. It was in American politics. And what happened? A bunch of men broke into the Watergate Hotel in, in Washington, D.C. to steal a bunch of information so that they could fix a presidential election. Nothing changes, right? <laughs> okay. <laughs> this was back, the Watergate was, would have been in the 60s. Okay. And so what eventually ended up happening, they all got caught. Okay. <clears throat> and, and at first they said, no, we weren't in the Watergate hotel. No. And they tried to, to, they tried to create alibis for one another. One of, the, one of the men who was caught was one of the leading politicians at the time. His name was Chuck Colson. You may be familiar with Chuck Colson because after he was caught and went to jail, he accepted Christ because he began to read the record. He began to search for what was really truth because he realized in the American political system there was no truth. So he began to search for truth. This is what Chuck Colson writes. I know the resurrection is a fact. And Watergate proved it to me. How? Because 12 men testified they had seen Jesus raised from the dead, and they proclaimed that truth for over 40 years, never once denying it. Everyone was beaten, tortured, stoned, put in prison. They would not have endured it if it wasn't true. Whereas Watergate embroiled 12 of the most powerful men in the world, and they couldn't keep alive for three weeks. So you're telling me, he says, 12 apostles could keep alive for 40 years? Absolutely impossible. They saw the resurrected Savior, and they were willing to die for it. I serve a risen Savior. That's what he said. Ignatius was an early Christian father. He was a writer. He said this, Turn a deaf ear to any speaker who avoids the mention of Jesus Christ who was in David's line, born of a Virgin Mary, truly born, who ate and drank, and who was truly persecuted under Pontius Pilate, truly crucified, truly died, and who was truly raised from the dead. The Father having raised him up, who in likewise manner will also raise those who believe in him. That's you. So if Christ is risen, we are risen. That's why we get it. The, the fact that Jesus rose from the dead, that's really, really good news. Well, you know what's better news? I'm, rise, I'm, I'm an eternal being. 
I am going to raise from the dead. I'm going to see you all one day. We're going to walk into glory going, see, I told you. I told you. I knew it. I knew it. I, I think that's going to be the first words besides, wow, Jesus, thank you. We're going to bow and worship. But then we're going to be whispering to each other, just like we're doing today. Resurrection. The good news is declared in Isaiah chapter 52. You can put that up on the screen. See, my servant will act wisely, says the Lord. He will be raised and lifted up and highly exalted. Just as there were many who were appalled at him, his appearance was so disfigured that that beyond any human being and his form marred beyond human likeness so that he will sprinkle many nations and kings will shut their mouths because of him. The resurrection of Jesus is the key event in all of history. You realize time in the world is based on the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now, we used to call it uh, B.C. before Christ, and then A.D. ad numero, which means after death, but now B.C. has changed to before the common era. What was the common era? That was everything before Jesus. (laughs) (laughs) The resurrection is also key to human resurrection. Christ has the power to sustain you from all, for all eternity. When you defeat death, think about this. This is When you defeat death, you defeat the ultimate power. When you defeat death, that's the ultimate power. Because all the first fruits of death are working in your body and with disease and sickness and everything to make you die. But if you, de- if you defeat death, you've just defeated the ultimate power. You will live forever. And only Christ has given you and can give you the power to be raised from the dead. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, the continuation of the verse, starting at verse 12, says this. But if it is preached that Christ has been raised from, for the, from the dead, how can some of you say there's no resurrection from the dead? If there's no resurrection from the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless and so is your faith. More than that, we are found to be false witnesses about God. This is a big deal in in the Hebrew economy. You would never be a false witness against God. That's blasphemy, the the ultimate blasphemy. And he says, so he's saying to him, if you don't believe, if he didn't, then then you're a false witness. For we have testified about God that he raised Christ from the dead. But he did not raise him if, in fact, the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, you're still in your sin, and then those who have already fallen asleep, who are in Christ, are lost. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are to be of all people most pitied. That, that, that's, a, that, that's a piercing verse. If you only have hope in Christ in this, for this life, you're to be pitied. Because we are eternal beings. We have hope in the future. But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. Christ is risen. And so we've already been made alive. You are as good as resurrected. Isn't that cool? That, that's, that's called, in, you've been inaugurated. Okay, you know, in the, in, in the U.S., in the, in the election, they, they vote in a president in, first, uh, in, in November, but then they have his inauguration in January. You see, you've already been, you've already been,
voted in for eternal life. And what's going to happen? It gets inaugurated. Oh, death, where is your sting? Oh, grave, where is your victory? When Hollywood tries to portray the death and resurrection of Christ, it, it, it at best spiritualizes Christ's resurrection. They show the blood and the gore and the wounds as he's whipped. You, you've, you've seen that and him hanging on the cross. But then it comes to the resurrection. And the music changes, you know, it goes to There's pretty music and this ghostly figure with aura, you know. Isn't it funny how much we've adapted to, to, to Hollywood? Because anybody nowadays who, who just see Jesus, oh, it must have been Jesus because he had this aura. Or maybe he was just standing in front of the sun, I don't know. I guarantee none of the apostles, including Thomas, would have believed the movie version. They would have went, no, 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 stop the movie. No, we, we saw him in real life. He was been resurrected. <laughs> they saw Jesus in real life, walking, talking, letting them touch him. Now, now do you understand in that first century the, 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 the wave and the importance of water baptism because it totally identified you publicly with the resurrection. Because it was this act of obedience that you were now so critical. Resurrection equips us. And with this, I'm going to wrap up. Ladies, I'm going to start slipping your shoes back on. Um, Let's go to the last screen. Resurrection equips us. Number one, it equips us to face the fear of dying. It equips us to face the fear of dying. We Christians die well. I, I wish I wish I could tell you how many bedsides I've been at as people have left this life and slipped into eternity. Followers of Jesus and not followers of Jesus. I stood beside the husband of a lady in our church who, as he was dying in pain and agony, cursed and blasphemed God on his deathbed. I had never seen anything like that in in my life. The nurses and the doctors were looking at me like just abhorrent. They couldn't believe it. And he went into a Christless eternity. I I had to go home. I went home and I I said to my wife, I have just seen something that I can even hardly describe to you. But we Christians, I want to take you, I'm just going to let you creep into my life for a moment. I I don't open the door of my life very often, but I will. My mom and my dad were married for almost 60 years. They served Jesus faithfully. They raised us in the church. They taught Sunday school, led the women's ministry, did everything. My mom passed away a few years ago, about seven years ago now. And 
as she was dying, we gathered around her bed in the palliative care unit. And starting with me as the oldest son, Mark, <clears throat> she called me. And, and she was gasping for breath. She was literally dying. She could hardly move her hand. She was crippled with rheumatoid arthritis for about the last 40 years in agony and pain. She looked up at me. She said, I love you. And she called my wife, Wendy, and my son, Skip, and his wife, Jessica, my daughter, Elise, and her, at the time, boyfriend, Patrick, who's now my son-in-law. It was interesting. My mom was very controlling. <laughs> That's a good thing. Okay. And so when Elise came, she looked at Elise and she said, bring him to Patrick. When Patrick came, she looked at Patrick and said, now you look after her. She went through all of my brothers and nephews and nieces and everything, and then finally my dad. And every time we came, she would say, I love you. I love you. I love you. And all that was running through my mind was, as Christians, we die well. This is actually good. This, is it painful? Absolutely. Is it, it, do we wish we were somewhere else? Yes. But for this moment, we're going to walk through this moment with mom. And her and my dad had this moment. And her breathing became more difficult. And we stood there and she kept saying, I love you. I love you. And my wife, Wendy, turned to me and she said, We're all here. Nobody's missing. She said, I love you. And I got down to my knees. Wendy, love. I love you more. I love you. Mom said, oh, no words. Well, I love you, baby. I was like, whoa. She was not afraid to die. My mother-in-law on her deathbed, a lady from the church came to pray for her, and she stopped her. She said, stop praying. And, and we all went, whoa. And my mother-in-law turned to this woman and said, I don't want to die twice. <laughs> she was ready to go. She, that was it. And, she, and the other lady was kind of pushed off a little bit. There you go. We die. Listen. The resurrection power helps us to face death, which we will all face. Are you ready to face it? Number two, it gives us hope for those who have died in Christ. I want you to know this morning, I got friends in high places. For some of you, you may not know, but in 1976, we got a new youth pastor in our youth group. His name was Lori Gibbons. And since 19... I worked with Pastor Lori Gibbons. We've hung with the church together for 10 years. We've worked at the district office for the last 24 years. And two and a half weeks ago on a Tuesday morning, his daughter-in-law called and said, Lori's glad to be with you. I got a friend. I've got family. My son, Nathan, I'm in high places right now. 
It helps us. It equips us. We have hope for the future. But the ultimate we have, hope we have is finally, one day, we will be reunited with Jesus. We will spend eternity with Christ. We will spend all the time, as we sang this morning, forever being glorified. We will worship him. We, we need to practice now worship because we're going to spend eternity worshiping. And how long is it eternity? It's eternity. No time limit. My question to you this morning is, do you have hope in the resurrection? Do you have the hope of resurrection? Do you have a personal relationship with Jesus? Because it's that resurrect, it's resurrection life that propels you into tomorrow. What is a resurrection life? This is my quote. I gave it to you Friday. I, I keep this quote on my desk. It's in the glove compartment of my car because I believe that everything in my life springs off of resurrection life. I was born dead in trespasses and sin. I was headed for a certain death. But Jesus came and gave me resurrection, resurrection life. And this is what resurrection life is. Resurrection life is the invisible power that emanates from the person of Jesus Christ to which the unregenerate are insensitive. It impacts on the mind of the regenerate, you who are in Christ, to stimulate the brain to think in terms of urges and fantasies and ideas that will enhance and develop one's divine, eternal power. That's what I want. The Bible says, whatsoever things are what? Good and pure and pleasant and holy. Think on these things. That's resurrection life working in your, in your mind. That's what I want for each one. No matter what the crisis or the pain or the situation you're facing, one encounter, one encounter with the risen, with the risen Savior changes everything. That is our hope for tomorrow. I want you to stand this morning. I want to pray, and I want to bless you on this great, great day. Father, thank you. Lord, how can we begin to even comprehend what resurrection is? Lord, I, I pray this morning that you would, through your word, enlighten us more. Lord, help us to grasp a little bit more of what it is like to be partakers, to be owners of resurrection life. Lord, thank you for this great gift that you've given us, eternal life with you in your kingdom. Lord, a, ret a returned relationship with you, a fixed relationship. Lord, once it was broken, but now it is healed. Lord, I pray this morning that you would help us and guide us. Lord, I pray for my friends here in Arthur. Lord, I pray for this church as, as they work through this transition moment. Lord, I pray that, that resurrection life, Lord, would, would be the theme of this transition. Lord, that they would begin to think in terms of urges and, and, and fantasies and ideas, Lord, that would bring the gospel and the truth of resurrection life to this whole region and to this whole community. Lord, I pray that you would empower them and bless them. Lord, if, if there are some this morning, as we've prayed already, that need healing, I pray for that healing today. Lord, if there's healing that needs to be done in families, I pray that you would, would build and, and renew those relationships. And Lord, ultimately, I pray that you would build that relationship in our own lives. Lord, give us that hunger for your word. Give us the hunger for your presence. Lord, not just 
hunger to be in church or in a prayer meeting, but Lord, to be with one another, to encourage one another, to spur one another on in love and good works. And Lord, this is our prayer this morning. This is our hope. We pray these things in Christ's name. And everyone said, Amen.